Hi, Thomas Abraham James here, uh, CEO and President of Pulsar Helium Inc. Uh, soon to be listed on the TSXV in Canada. And uh, as the name suggests, uh, we're a helium uh, exploration company with uh, projects in Minnesota and Greenland. Thomas, thank you very much for the introduction. Good to see you again. Um, it almost feels like first um, full circle because the first time I saw you, you were uh, working on a, um, a helium project. Um, tell me why you've come back to helium and, and um, what the story is, please, you know, of your involvement. Yes, certainly. So, yes, uh, it first started in helium. It's about a decade ago now. And uh, you're right, I uh, couldn't let it go. So, uh, so after uh, leaving a previous company, Helium One Global, uh, so since then, uh, my interest in helium has never waned, uh, but uh, certainly aware of uh, other opportunities uh, around the world with uh, potential for, for primary helium. And uh, I mentioned primary, uh, it's quite important because that is where helium is the primary economic driver, where it's not a, a byproduct of uh, hydrocarbon production. And uh, there's not so many places in the world that you can look, but uh, with, with our projects in, in Minnesota in the US and then with, uh, with Greenland in the, uh, well, in Greenland, uh, we, uh, with the Greenland project, that was one that uh, generated uh, in-house. Uh, so I worked in Greenland quite extensively, as the uh, artwork behind me suggests. Um, and, and then with Minnesota, there was a, an introduction that was uh, made to us for a, uh, I guess you could say, a, a discovery by, uh, by accident, uh, which turns out to be uh, one of the, the highest grade uh, uh, drilled helium occurrences uh, in the world. So, so really, with these two fantastic opportunities, uh, uh, Pulsar Helium was uh, was born and is now my my full attention. And um, you, you mentioned that you're coming to market. Where, where are you in that process? Okay, so what happened was uh, last week uh, we received uh, well we lodged a final prospectus. Uh, we're doing an initial public offering on the TSX fee, and so we lodged our final prospectus, and then we uh, received the receipt for that. Uh, so that was a, a major milestone for us. And uh, so now what's it uh, targeting and what appears will be happening is that next week on Tuesday, the 15th of August, is, uh, is when we'll then be doing the, the final uh, stage of getting the company uh, uh, registered and listed on the TSXV. Uh, that is when the, the final approval occurs from the exchange. Uh, and then uh, once listed, uh, the process in Canada is then you go into a, an immediate trading halt, uh, which lasts for well, roughly 48 hours. That gives everybody the, the opportunity to onboard uh, the company into all the various uh, systems. Uh, with live trading then uh, commencing on Thursday, the 17th of August. And um, what's the pre-money valuation of the company and how much are you raising? Okay, so we, uh, the, the money that we went out, the pre-money valuation, so everything I mentioned is Canadian dollars, so it was uh, $19 million. And uh, we've raised uh, just over 3 million, so it's uh, 3.1 million Canadians. So that uh, financing round is closed. Uh, so yes, uh, now, uh, yeah, 22 million valuation, three in the bank. Uh, and uh, we're under the, uh, the ticker PLSR, Pulsar. So yes, uh, that financing, we, uh, we closed the other week. And it must have been, a, I mean, all financings at the moment are tough. I mean, I, I saw in your prospectus that you were going for between three and six. Um, uh, it, it's just a really, 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 really tough market. Um, did you have to scour, hunt uh, far and wide for that, or were you able to find a few um, 
kind of deep-pocketed individuals that were behind Helium? Uh, look, it's, uh, yeah, undoubtedly. I think we probably chose the most difficult time, but then again, with all my other previous ventures, it's always been the same. So I don't think there's ever an easy time. Uh, but uh, with this particular one, uh, we, we, we have a, a following. So when I say we, uh, so the, the company, uh, so uh, our chairman, Neil Herbert, uh, technical manager, Josh Blewett, our other directors. Uh, so look, you know, uh, I think people have benefited from uh, our successes in the past. So we've got a very loyal following, which we're very grateful for. Uh, also uh, ourselves as, uh, as the directors and management, uh, we also participated quite heavily in this round as well. Um, we, we did get over the, the minimum amount, uh, and indeed, as you say, uh, there was a, a maximum figure, uh, which we, we didn't, uh, achieve, uh, but really it wasn't through anything through high, I guess, not lack of interest, but, uh, with us getting into the Canadian market, um, so this is something that's quite new for us to get into Canada. Uh, it's also, uh, the IPO financing is only open to those who do have a, a Canadian broker as well. So that is, is limiting in itself. So the, the pool of people that we can go to for finance is, is smaller because of that. But certainly, uh, once we're listed in Canada, I personally and my colleagues will be spending uh, an awful lot of time over there. And really, uh, the Canadian market is something which is relatively untapped at this stage and something that we'll be uh, working with vigor to, uh, to change and to, um, to yeah, make sure that the company is well known over there. Why, why, why Canada? Why not? Um, London. I mean, um, Neil's British. You're you're based in kind of the London time zones. Um, Greenland's in, in London time zones. You know, um, why why Canada? Uh, Canada because of the geography of the assets. That's one reason. So our, our major project is in Minnesota, uh, and then our other one in Greenland. So the geographic uh, relevance and um, I guess appreciation that comes with that. Uh, the other thing is is that there there are quite a few. Uh, Canadian uh, explorers and producers listed on the TSXV also. Uh, we like that, the, the number of uh, comparisons that can be made there. Uh, so those, those are the two major reasons. Uh, obviously, uh, our, uh, you know, our major knowledge is in London and uh, in Australia, but there, there are not so many helium companies. So you know, one which is close to my heart is in London, which is uh, Helium One, uh, but there are no others uh, in London at this moment in time. Uh, in Australia, you do have a few as well, but uh, geographically very separated uh, from where our assets are. And we will be spending most of our time in North America. Good, 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 good. Um, tell me about the, the work program. Um, you've raised 3.1 million Canadian. Mm -hmm. um, how, how long is that going to last and how much of that is going to go into the ground? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so that's, uh, we've got a budget, uh, which is there in the prospectus, which is uh, uh, to, to go for 12 months. Uh, and that includes the, the major milestone for us, which is, which is drilling. Uh, so this is our project in Minnesota, which is called the, the Topaz project. So that one has already been drilled. There's a discovery that's made there and uh, it flowed 10.5% helium, uh, making it one of the world's most high-grade uh, occurrences. Uh, and uh, so we're drilling an appraisal well in the fourth quarter uh, of this year. Uh, so we're at a, an advanced stage for that one. Uh, and really, the, the 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 reason for doing that, so it's it's going to be effectively a twin of the uh, existing discovery hole, but the discovery was made by Charles. So they were doing conducting mineral exploration, looking for nickel. So you can appreciate that it didn't have all the tooling on it that you would anticipate for a, for a gas uh, gas show. So so really, the objective is to go out, do the appraisal well, twin that, uh, with any luck, repeat the results uh, of the initial discovery, and then. Um, 
look at, uh, you know, based on a success case scenario, then look at a resource update, feasibility studies, and really see what we can do to, uh, to, to fast track that to realize its potential and hopeful production. Um, in addition to that, so in the build up to the drilling, uh, we've got a, a seismic survey. Uh, that one uh, is, is it's quite a, an innovative technique. So rather than your conventional seismic, which is uh, sort of, uh, you know, thumper trucks or blasting, uh, we're using uh, so these, uh, these notes. So it's passive seismic. Uh, we've already done a, a desktop study with the, uh, with the uh, company which uh, uh, leases these nodes. And the depth penetration uh, is good for our purposes. Um, so it gets down to about 700 meters depth for a good resolution of data. Uh, the helium discovery for us was at 540 meters depth. So, so we'll do that one as well for an you know, additional level of uh, de-risking. But that will also benefit once we, uh, we drill and should we repeat the result. Uh, then having that uh, seismic data will then also help us to constrain uh, any future resource calculations as well. Um, so those are the major uh, work programs we've got in the, in the next few months. And um, if the discovery hole was um, not drilled with kind of gas uh, gas equipment, which is kind of a conventional uh, wireline uh, diamond, um, A, how did they measure the flow rate? And B, Surely it's it's been a leaking, um, you know. Would, could there not have been a kind of a helium escape through that uh, through that void from surface? Well, luckily there was certainly the potential for it, but luckily there was uh, there was a very diligent crew that was there at the time. Uh, in fact, we've employed uh, well, a couple of them to to work for us who were present at the uh, discovery at the time, and one who introduced us to it as well. Uh, so so what occurred was the the, the gas uh, appeared to be under quite significant pressure. So there was a, uh, a three meter core barrel in there and it was 90% loaded with, uh, with core. Uh, that was shot out a bit like a projectile. Uh, so, so we've got a, a good feel for, you know, the, um, uh, well, you could do a calculation based on the diameter of the pipe, the, the, the weight of, uh, of the, uh, the, the core barrel that was ejected. Uh, it was then open for four days with no obvious loss in, in pressure. Uh, there was then, um, I guess they didn't have the, 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 the right sort of, uh, testing for the equipment for the flow rates but uh they, they did use a uh, a wind meter and anemeter and uh the uh, <laughs> the gas tore that to shreds uh so it maxed out at 150 kilometers an hour which is the capability of the instrument uh, and then got uh, destroyed uh so we know there's minimum the uh, the velocity is 150 kilometers an hour uh and then uh gas samples were taken so a number of number of samples were taken uh, uh, some were sent to an accredited uh, laboratory. Uh, then the other one went off to the University of uh, Toronto. And uh, those ones, uh, there were some corrections made for atmospheric contamination. But uh, both sets of results were then in extremely uh, good uh, sort of correlation with one another and uh, that 10.5% helium. Uh, after that, uh, their initial concern was that the, uh, you can imagine at the time, hitting gas and not really anticipating that, they were concerned that it was combustible and that the, the rig was going to explode. Uh, the analysis showed them that it was not combustible. And so then what they did was that they were then able to, to go in and to cement off that hole. So it has been fully blocked. So I think that the, uh, the chances of any leakage are, are minimal. In fact, uh, when we've um, been looking at some uh, satellite data as well, and uh, you see that uh, there are some helium uh, anomalies in the vicinity, uh, but nothing that suggests that it is gushing out of the ground. So strong level of confidence they did a, a good job of sealing it off. And um, 
what's the conventional um i understand you're in kind of it's, it's in archean shield you're in a very um old part of the crust um what's the what's the gas hosted in is it in a kind of a conventional oil and gas kind of um uh, interstitial porosity reservoir or, or or is it in something else it's it's a it's a, where the discovery was it was a void uh so it was uh yeah no literally nothing <laughs> uh so uh was it uh, what we have there is the the Anamiki Basin, which is a, a sedimentary basin. Uh, to the north of that, you have the Giants Range Batholith, which is a, a, a very old uh, granitic uh, intrusion there. And uh, that is deemed to be the source rock. So it's very well endowed in uranium and thorium. Uh, as that decays, creates an alpha particle, which is helium. Um, so we've got that. Uh, and then you have the Duluth Complex, uh, which is an intrusive body, which has come in. And it's, uh, it appears to have sealed off over the top of the uh, Anamiki Basin or a portion thereof. Uh, so what uh, it is, and we, we can't answer this conclusively until this drill hole is completed, but what it appears is that uh, the source is the is that baffle is to the north, uh, that you've then got a, a, a reservoir there, a void, possibly then underneath it in the basin, you've got something more conventional, as you said, suggest something like a sandstone reservoir. But the ceiling unit on top is this igneous intrusion. and. Uh, I think this is why that we haven't seen anybody. Uh, we're the first mover in this location, and there's no obvious surface emanations of the helium. Uh, in other places that I've worked, you, you see yeah, thermal springs, and you can sample the gases from those, or you've got a very you know, uh, a sort of a thick density of drill holes for, uh, for hydrocarbon exploration. That we, we don't have. And so I think this one drill hole that hit it by chance Otherwise, it's a blind occurrence. Uh, so we've got a, a very good feel with that igneous sealing unit that the, uh, the seal integrity is very good. And uh, I think that's justified by the pressure which the gas came out of that initial discovery. But uh, with this drill hole that we're doing the appraisal well, drilling deeper so that we can answer these questions conclusively, what really is down there? And um, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, what will be the um, time gap between the completion of the the, the seismic survey and uh, the drilling of the well i mean as in um will you have a time to uh incorporate your finding findings from the seismic or is it just you're just going to do the twin hole and that's kind of decided already and then you'll look at the data from the seismic and the twin hole and then recalibrate i think that it's i think it's probably unlikely that the seismic will change the location of this appraisal well uh, yeah, drilling right next to the known discovery. So what we've got at the moment is looking at uh, 20 meters-ish away from the discovery well and drilling down there. The seismic, unless we see something that's quite obvious there, that uh, then obviously we would uh, adjust accordingly. But that's not really the the intention. It's it's really to then well, if there's something obvious to let us know. So that's that's one thing. Uh, but the other one is that the, the major reason is that that seismic post drilling and post. Uh, you know, hopeful success, then that will help us to, to model up the, the reservoir better. So that's that's more the intention. But to answer you, the initial component of your question, uh, the, the gap between the two, uh, that seismic survey, we'd be leaving the nodes in the field for roughly about four weeks. And so that's set to start later this month. So we'll, we'll have uh, probably you know, a good sort of um, few weeks there between the completion of the, uh, the survey uh, before the mobilization of the rig. And you mentioned uh, mobilizing the rig in Q4. Uh, uh, target depth, 500 meters. Um, presumably, this is a, a wider bore, kind of a, um, oil and gas uh, style 
uh, drilling machine. You know, what's the timeline to completion and then testing? And what's your expectation on kind of getting results or at the back end of that process? Yeah, sure. We, we, we anticipated the time to drill and uh, we'll be pushing down a bit deeper than that 540 meter discovery depth. Uh, but we anticipate, I mean, the, we, the drill conditions are known. Uh, as I say, it's very competent igneous rock. So, uh, so that certainly assists. But we, we, we anticipate roughly about uh, three weeks uh, for that to be completed. Uh, to then get uh, the initial gas uh, results, uh, that will be fairly shortly thereafter. Uh, with any luck, we'll be able to get some real-time analysis and then taking off additional samples off to a commercial laboratory. And then the, the testing uh, equipment coming in, results from that, I'd probably say roughly another three weeks after that. So you're looking at perhaps from commencement of the well to getting all the results, roughly six weeks. And uh, you, you mentioned drilling through igneous rock. Does that mean you're drilling through the Duluth complex and then your, um, your, your, your target is essentially at the bottom of the Duluth um, complex into the sediments? That, that's what it appears to be, yes. That's what the data suggests. So we don't have uh, concrete uh, data that beneath that are the sediments, but we certainly would be drilling through the, uh, the Duluth complex, um, a rock type called troctolite, and, uh, and then under that, and, uh, underneath that, uh, into the void. <laughs> and then after that, uh, you know, uh, let's see. But uh, certainly with the, the regional geology of the area, we, we know that the Anamiki Basin is nearby. It's also, it's also interesting to note, too, that uh, this is within the, the mid-continent rift of the U.S. as well. So if you look at, say, you know, going back to my old stomping ground, uh, East Africa, so you had the, uh, the, the helium there associated with that, the rifting there. Uh, of East African Rift, uh, whereas, you know, interestingly, where we are in Minnesota, it's a similar geological setting, but much older. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, with that, uh, you know, older basin and a uh, very stable geological environment now. Uh, and does the, it, it's, it, what, what's the relevance of a rift? Is that just because there's a, the, a higher geothermal gradient or is it because there's a kind of a um, um, uh, in batholith um, component which comes closer to surface i mean w w why why do you mention the rift the rift is important so there's there's a few key ingredients that you're looking for for uh, for commercial helium projects uh so one is your your source uh so for that you want uh, a really old granite ideally so it's very well endowed in uranium and thorium which ultimately breaks down to create the, the helium uh the other thing is is that uh, you could then appreciate you've got a crystalline rock and inside that you've got these little gaseous components of helium. So you need a liberation mechanism. And so the, the, the rift there, uh, you know, wonderful. Uh, so that certainly helps to, uh, for that gas to escape. Uh, then the other thing you need is a, is, a, is a trapping unit or a seal. So that's where your sedimentary basin comes in. Uh, or in this instance, you've then got a sealing off uh, intrusion, which is coming. And then the, the fourth ingredient, uh, which is one to, to really further drive the, 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 that gas, that helium, out of the crystalline rock is, uh, is a heat source. Uh, but it's, it's a Goldilocks zone. You, you don't want that heat source to be too close because with that would come uh, you know, large amounts of uh, CO2. Uh, whereas if the heat source is too far away, then you wouldn't have that uh, thermal drive uh, either. So those are the four components that you really look for for a, uh, a high concentration helium occurrence. Uh, and then on, on top of that, you, you really hope that there is no uh, potential for hydrocarbon generation either. So, and uh, certainly, uh, I think the, the oil and gas uh, history of Minnesota can be summed up in a sentence, which is, you know, don't go there. <laughs> so so that, that hydrocarbon concern isn't really there. 
But another thing which gives me a, a great deal of comfort is that um, there are a number of other drill holes in the vicinity. And uh, so these ones were not targeting gas. Uh, they were more geared towards either geotechnical or they were uh, for mineral exploration. And uh, there were quite a few instances where non-flammable non gas was encountered. Uh, and then only one of them that we can see was analyzed for helium, and that was about 160 kilometers away to the southwest, which is interestingly further away from the source rock that, uh, that baffleth I mentioned. But that hole was analyzed for helium and came back with 2% helium. So we don't think that uh, we're looking at an isolated occurrence. Uh, we think we're actually looking at uh, quite a, a large system here. I hesitate to use the word binary, but um, your, 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 your first um, drill hole has an element of that, doesn't it? Uh, I guess you could say that. I mean, I, I guess that uh, with the... Uh, it is... It's, it's, it's been drilled. Uh, that one, uh, we, we, we have our CPR from Sprawl, uh, so it's uh, certainly been reviewed. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very much been, uh, yeah, a known discovery. Uh, so I take comfort in that. Uh, we also have some existing geophysical data, so that gives us some comfort too, magnetics, gravity data. Uh, we'll have the seismic data before we drill as well. Uh, so, you know, it's certainly by no means a wildcat. Uh, so it's not an exploration hole either. So it is an appraisal well of a known discovery. Uh, so there is that. Um, but in terms of being binary, um, I think that uh, with those other occurrences of helium in the vicinity, uh, with our license package, so we have the, the license which covers where that uh, discovery area is, we then have an exclusive option for further ground around that. And the company is then also, we've got uh, in applications uh, for larger uh, ground in the vicinity as well. So really with that first mover opportunity that we've, we have, uh, we're taking full advantage of that. Uh, with the other gas shows that are there, uh, knowing the geology, uh, I, I like to think that it, it, it is not binary. Uh, obviously, of course, we, we, <laughs> we wish this all every success, uh, but uh, we, we really do think that we are looking at a much larger system. Yeah, good. Um, uh, before we go, um, tell me about the, um, the, the, the helium opportunity in Greenland and how much emphasis and how much work are you doing on that? Is that just a holding position? Uh, not a holding position. So that one was really, it was, it was a discovery that was only made last year. So as I say, in-house. Uh, so uh, with that one there, right geological ingredients once again. So the four that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and uh, some of the oldest rocks on the planet. So great potential. Uh, there are some uh, thermal springs there. So we went off to those last year and uh, we, we managed to get to, uh, to two of them. Uh, there are a number of others that uh, we want to get to and uh, we aim to get there this year. Uh, but with those two, we found that they are nitrogen helium systems. Uh, so we got to the highest result that we got was 0.8% uh, helium. So not quite the same level as we have in Topaz, but uh, certainly, you know, the, the chemistry is what uh, you want to see. Uh, and then the other thing that we found is that uh, the uh, in discussion with a group in Iceland is that there's also very much uh, a geothermal potential there as well. So. We're actually looking at a, uh, a combined so primary helium plus the potential for geothermal. Having worked in Greenland for quite some time, certainly know that infrastructure is something you need to tackle quite early on. So it's very pleasing to see that that geothermal potential is available uh, right near to the, the helium area. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, helium has just been placed on the European Commission list of critical raw materials. 
Uh, the EU imports 95% of its helium from outside the EU. So with that uh, change in legislation there, putting it on the critical list, uh, there, there is a, a very genuine appetite, certainly also with things like uh, the Europeans uh, and just like the US, which is they're the, uh, safeguarding the manufacturing of computer chips and therefore semiconductors. Uh, to fabricate a semiconductor, you must have liquid helium. Uh, if the EU is completely reliant on imports, uh, you know, it's, that's not ideal. So, uh, so for, the, for our projects in Greenland, you know, certainly it's, it's, it's one that uh, we'll be uh, pushing forward. But in the short term, just because of that high concentration and it's already being drilled, uh, I, I think, you know, for those obvious reasons that Minnesota is getting, uh, you know, the short term uh, treatment to get that one moving as quickly as possible. Because really, we, we twin that hole and then uh, with any luck, all goes well. Uh, we'll then be pivoting very much to see how quickly we could get production there. Yeah, good. Tom, um, Thomas, thank you very much for the um, uh, o oversight, uh, the overview of the project. Good luck with the listing um, process. And um, really, it's kind of all eyes on the uh, on the seismic and then, of course, the appraisal well in Q4. Yes, no, it's going to be a very, very exciting time. And so, yes, listing next week, uh, all going well. And uh, no, couldn't be happier. So... It's uh, been a, it's been one big process, but uh, you know it's it's well worth it.